What we believe about something will affect what we do. This is especially true when it comes to believing in Jesus, following Jesus. We believe believing in Jesus and following Jesus means praying a prayer and then just kind of hanging around and waiting until time to go to heaven. And that's all we'll do. Things like serving Jesus, sacrificing for Jesus, being devoted to Jesus will not be a part of our lives. They will not be on our radar of things that need to happen. If, on the other hand, if we believe following Jesus means living our lives for Jesus and for His glory, then our devotion to Jesus will be evident day in and day out in the way we sacrifice and the way we serve Jesus. In the 1940s, there was a, a pastor in Germany named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who believed following Jesus meant living for Jesus and for His glory. Listen to some of what he had to say about what it means what it means to follow Jesus. He said, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for a costly grace. He said, Being a Christian is less about cautiously avoiding sin than about courageously and actively doing God's will. He said, Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for the door at which a man must knock. Such a grace is costly because it calls us to follow. And it's grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it cost a man his life. It is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of His Son. You were bought with a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon His Son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered Him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. Now for Bonhoeffer, these were not just empty platitudes. Bonhoeffer was already pastoring when Adolf Hitler became Chancellor of Germany. Two days after Hitler was made Chancellor, Bonhoeffer gave a radio address where he warned Germany against slipping slipping into an idolatrous cult of the Fuhrer, whom he said could be a Verfuhrer, a misleader, or a seducer. He was cut off in midair, in the middle he was cut off in the air in the middle of a sentence. In April the same year, Bonhoeffer raised the first and virtually only voice Uh, for church resistant to Hitler's persecution of the Jews, declaring the church must not simply bandage the victims under the wheel, but must jam the spoke in the wheel itself. As you can imagine, Bonhoeffer was not overly popular with the Nazi party. He was not their favorite pastor. In fact, at one point, he was forbidden to speak in public. He was forbidden to publish anything. And he had to give frequent reports of his activities to the police. But he didn't do those things. On October 6, 1943, Bonhoeffer was arrested. There were several charges against him. Among those were seeking to subvert Nazi policy toward the Jews, furthering the works of the confessing church, which would not answer to the party, defying the Gestapo order against speaking in public. Bonhoeffer was condemned to death on April 8, 1945 by an SS judge. There were no witnesses to the trial. There are no official records of the trial. And Bonhoeffer was allowed no defense at his trial. The next day, he, along with several others, many of whom were his family members, were stripped of clothing, marched from their cells to the execution yard where they were hung by the neck with a thin wire. When Bonhoeffer wrote, when Christ calls a man, he calls him to come and die, he fully believed it. Faith and devotion to Jesus is what drove Bonhoeffer to oppose Hitler and the Nazi party. 
Faith and devotion to Jesus sustained Bonhoeffer during his imprisonment. Faith and devotion to Jesus kept Bonhoeffer faithful, even in the face of certain death. What Bonhoeffer believed about following Jesus affected and guided his life to the very end. The question we want to answer and we have to answer is this. Does Jesus call us to pray a prayer and then wait to go to heaven? Or does he call us to the kind of devotion that Bonhoeffer had? We're going to answer that today. Open your Bible to Mark 1, verses 14 through 20 is what we're going to read. Um, Page 761, if you have a pew Bible, and when you find that, I'm going to get to stand to honor the reading of God's Word. Mark 1, 14 through 20. After John was taken into custody, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, saying, Time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And he was going along the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were also in the boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their nets, or they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they went away to follow him. The title of the message this morning is when Jesus calls. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your grace and your goodness. Thank you for the opportunity we have to gather, to study, uh, to learn from what it means to follow Jesus. Today we ask that you would help us to lay aside the cares of life we have brought in, to help us to focus on what your word has for us today. We pray for your Holy Spirit to come. Take your word, make it living and active in our hearts. Father, none of us are all we should be in our lives. And so there's something we all need to do in response to what Jesus has said in the example we see in this passage. So give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying to us from the word today. Give us hearts willing to obey and do whatever it is you would want us to do. As we hear the call of Jesus, let us answer with a yes and an amen and go and do what he would have us to do. Fill me with your spirit this morning. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Uh, Let me say what you once said. Nothing more, nothing less. We ask in the mighty name of Christ, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. When Jesus spoke, when Jesus taught, when Jesus preached, he always expected a response. In fact, every message of Jesus brings people to the place where they must respond. They must make a decision about how to respond. We see this. In this passage, Jesus calls, we're going to focus on verses 16 through 20 today. Jesus calls on these people and he calls on them to follow him and let him make them into fishers of people. I mean, that's a clear, it's clear what the call is. Follow me. Let me change you. Join my mission. In that moment, they have an intentional and a decisive decision to make. They can go with Jesus or they can stay where they are. Now, they can't do both, though, right? They can't stay where they are and follow Jesus. They're either going to stay where they are, ignore the call of Jesus, withdraw further away from Jesus, or they're going to answer his call and go closer to him. This is the way it works for all of us. The message of Jesus, the words of Jesus always bring us to the place where we have a choice to make. And we will make a choice. We will make an intentional and a decisive choice to either draw near to Jesus and do what he's calling us to do or to draw further away from Jesus and do what we want to do. But make no mistake, we choose and we cannot do both. Right. I cannot choose my will and Jesus's will at the same time. 
I cannot choose to stay where I am and go with Jesus at the same time. I must choose one or the other. When Jesus calls, He bids us to make a decision. And so today our key point is we must intentionally and decisively answer when Jesus calls. It's intentional. No one accidentally follows Jesus. They weren't going to sit there at their net and then look up and be like, oh my goodness, I've walked away and I'm following Jesus now. No, it was their intentional decision. It was decisive. Jesus was moving. He wasn't staying there days on end waiting on them to choose. He followed me and then He took off. They had to make a decisive choice right then. Were they going to follow Him or stay where they are? Same with us. We're not going to accidentally follow Jesus and we have to make a a decisive choice the moment He calls. There are five choices, five responses to the call of Jesus in this passage. We looked at two last week, repent, believe the gospel. This week we'll look at the last three. The first is follow Jesus. Jesus goes to them and He calls them clearly, follow me. Now when you read the account of Jesus and the life of the life of Jesus from the Gospels, you realize Jesus was not interested in half-hearted followers. He wasn't interested in a crowd for the sake of a crowd. He wanted people who were fully devoted to doing His will. He wanted disciples, not fans. He wanted people who were devoted to Him, not those who just thought He was kind of interesting or neat or they were, Jesus was just alright with them. He wanted people to be fully devoted to Him. Jesus was more interested in the quality of the disciple than the quantity of the number of of the disciples. So with that in mind, there are two traits necessary to answer this call to follow Jesus. One, we must follow Jesus as a way of life. As we look at the idea of following Jesus, we quickly see it's not the idea of spending time with him and then going on about our day. For these disciples to follow Jesus, they had to leave their nets and go where He went. I mean, there was a a literal following Him, a literal going where He went. Their whole life had to change. They rearranged and reprioritized themselves around the fact they were with Jesus. Now for us, what we can do is, if we're not careful, we'll think following Jesus is, well, maybe I pray in the morning, I read my Bible, and then I go on about my day and do whatever I want to do. And I'm following Jesus, but that's... Not following Jesus. That's visiting Jesus. And Jesus doesn't want visitation rights to our lives. Jesus wants our lives. He wants us to give Him all that we are. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe we ought to pray. We ought to read our Bibles in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, whatever. But if we only spend time with Jesus in the morning, if we only read our Bible a little bit throughout the day, then we are visiting Jesus and we are not walking with Him. We are not following Him. Jesus wants more from us than a daily visit. Jesus wants to be a part of every aspect of our lives. No matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, Jesus wants us to be there. Or He wants to be there present in that moment. He wants us to be aware of His presence as we go about the regular tasks of our life. There's a book by a medieval monk named Brother Lawrence, and he talks about the practice of the presence of God. And he had got himself to the point where he was as aware of God's presence, he says, as he was peeling the potatoes as he was in the church worshiping the Lord. That's the the idea. That's what we want. That's following Jesus. That we're aware He's with us no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. Jesus is there. 
That we see him as being a part of what's going on in our lives every moment of every day. Now, this doesn't mean we have to switch activities to go with Jesus. This means we invite him into the regular activities of our life. That no matter what we're doing, we're at work, we're aware of the fact Jesus is my companion. Jesus is here with me. We go about our hobbies, whatever our hobbies are. We do that with the awareness Jesus is there. We go to sporting events. We do that aware Jesus is with us. Right? We go shopping. Jesus is there. Jesus is with me. We live all aspects and all moments of our lives with an awareness of Jesus being with us. This is what it means to follow Jesus as a way of life. Now, when I was a kid, my mom would kind of use this idea in an effort to kind of make me be good. Her saying with this was, would you do that if Jesus was physically standing present with you? And that is in some ways the idea of what I'm talking about here. Although I don't think it's to scare us into being good, but just to being aware. Wherever I go today, Jesus is with me. He's with me now. He was with me this morning when I arrived. He'll be with me when I leave this afternoon. And if this afternoon I go for a long walk around Guyman, He's going to go with me on that walk. If I go to Walmart, He's going to Walmart with me. Tomorrow, if I go to the coffee shop and read, He's going to go with me to the coffee shop. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, Jesus is with me. And He's with you as well. If you're a born-again disciple of Jesus. The key to following Jesus as a way of life is to be aware of that. To think about that. Jesus is here in this moment. In this moment, I am serving Jesus no matter what I'm doing. I'm on the job. I'm serving Jesus by serving my boss as well. I'm at Walmart. I'm serving Jesus by acting as I ought to. As I am at a sporting event, I serve Jesus by living how I should. No matter where I go, no matter what I do, I serve Jesus. And I'm aware of that. I do it by doing what he would have me to do in a moment-by-moment sort of way. Follow Jesus as a way of life. Second, we have to follow where Jesus leads. To follow Jesus means to follow Jesus. He's the leader, not us. How many parents have ever had a situation where you're walking somewhere with your child, holding their hand, but they don't want to go where you're taking them? And they pull and they fight and they scream and they fall down and they stop. And I mean, they do all of this in an effort to keep you from taking them where you're trying to take them. How many of us are that way in our relationship with Jesus? Jesus is trying to lead us somewhere. Jesus is always leading us in our lives, how to act, what to do, what kind of things we ought to be doing in our life. And the question is, are we following where he leads or are we the child fighting back against what Jesus wants us to do? If we're going to follow where Jesus leads, we're going to follow Jesus, then we have to stop that. I cannot fight against Jesus and follow Jesus. I cannot resist Jesus and follow Jesus. To follow Jesus means he leads. I follow. Jesus has always intended on his disciples to follow him in this way. If anyone. Now, I I put anyone in red so we can see. Not if the preacher. Not if a missionary. Not if a Sunday school teacher. Not if a bigly sanctified believer. If anyone. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus, here's what they have to do. Deny themselves, take up the cross daily, and follow Him. So do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to be His disciple? This is what you must do. 
Do I want to be his disciple? Do I want to follow Jesus? And this is what I must do. Anyone who wants to follow Jesus must deny themselves. That's a big thing. We are a self-indulgent culture. And a self-indulgent culture pushes back against self-denial. Why should I ever have to do anything I don't like or don't want to do? Because Jesus calls us to deny ourselves. And I can't follow him if I'm not willing to deny myself. If I'm going to live a self-indulgent life, I cannot be a disciple of Jesus. I must deny myself to follow him. We must also take up our cross. That is, in essence, dying to our own will. The cross was an instrument of, of death and of torture. The person with the cross was not coming back. And so it is the picture of dying to ourselves so we can follow him. Because the reality is our natural self, our, our fleshly self, is not going to want to go the direction Jesus is wanting us to go. Jesus always has a way. I mean, just think about like the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus tells us to turn the other cheek. So if somebody insults you today or tomorrow, insults me today or tomorrow, how does Jesus want us to respond in that moment? With a punch to the throat or to turn the other cheek? Turn the other cheek. I'm going to have to die to myself before I do that because that's not how I was raised. That's not my natural inclination. If somebody wrongs me, I was kind of raised to get ahead, not get even. Getting even's for wimps. You get ahead in the bad boy. But Jesus says to forgive. I'm going to have to die. I'm going to have to die to self in an effort to, to do that. And, and probably you have issues along those lines as well. Probably not as many as I do, but some. There are things we just know from what Jesus has said in the Word. And that's what we're always to do, how we're always to act, how we're always to live. And in the moment when we have the opportunity to do the opposite of what Jesus said, Jesus is calling us in that moment to die to self and do His will. That's following Him. And we're to do it daily. So it's not a one-time deal. I wish, oh man, you have no idea how much I wish I could tell you. If you come up here today, and you pray, and you just lay it all on the altar. Man, you even crawl on the altar yourself, and you just get up there, and you cry, and you scream, and you pray, and pray for an hour, and suddenly you're going to get up. And it's going to be easy. There's never going to be that moment where you have to deny yourself and die to yourself ever again. You're just going to naturally... Go the way of Jesus. Man, I, I would, I'd be up here all week. I'd just fast and pray and stay and never get off that altar until that moment came. But eventually all I would get would be hungry and sore from laying on the altar. Because in the end, we still always have to deny ourselves. In the end, we still always have to die to self. And we have to do those things in order to follow Him. We have to do it each and every day of our lives. Something interesting about Jesus in this statement. When Jesus made statements like this, typically he had big crowds. Large numbers of people were following him. And when he made these sort of statements, they didn't just be like, yes, that's what I was wanting. I wanted to deny myself, take up my cross and follow him. Rather, what happened was there would be a few who would be like, that's hard. Okay, I'm going with you, Jesus. And then there would be a large number that would say, that's crazy talk. Ah, there's just no way. And they would turn. They would walk away. Do you know what Jesus did when they turned and they walked away? Here's what he did every single time. He let them. He let them. 
He didn't say, oh, oh, whoa, 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 I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Here, um, if you want to come after me, deny yourself sometimes. Right? Like once a month if you'll take up your cross. And if you'll just follow me kind of in some words and maybe a Facebook post or two, then that, that's, that's good. That's good. I put, I'm sorry, I was too hot. He didn't. This is what he demanded. This is what he expected. This is what he knows he deserves. And if they aren't willing to give that to him, and they are going to walk away from him, to them he says, okay. And until we're willing to give him this, we cannot be his disciple. We cannot follow him. This is the call. Jesus calls us. Jesus is clear about his expectations for us. And then Jesus expects us to make a choice. We choose to press in and follow him or we choose to walk away. And those are the only two choices we have. So this morning, just at the very beginning of the message, Jesus has called to each and every one of us in here. He has called us to follow him, to follow him as a way of life. To follow where He leads. He has laid out the expectations clearly about what this looks like and how we, how we obey this. Now the choice is ours about what we're going to do with this call. Will we press in or will we pull away? We will choose one or the other. Following Jesus is an intentional and decisive answer we give when Jesus calls Secondly, we cooperate with change from Jesus. Jesus tells them in verse 17, follow me and I will make you to become something. He will make them into something. Now, if you've ever read through the Bible, in the New Testament, you know the disciples in the Gospels and the disciples in Acts are very different people. Now, they're the same people, don't get me wrong. It's still Peter, James, and John. But they have been dramatically changed by Jesus. But like so on the night of Jesus' arrest, these people that he's calling now, who will spend the next three and a half years with him, when he's arrested, they will flee from him. They will deny they knew him. They will hide from the Romans after Jesus has risen for fear of being arrested. But when we get to Acts, they're arrested for preaching about Jesus and told to preach no more. And they say, we have to obey God rather than man. We cannot stop testifying about the things we have seen and heard. They all, other than the Apostle John, will die for their faith in Jesus, their devotion to Him. They are different then than they are now. But it's not about what they've done. They haven't knuckled it under and made themselves better. Jesus has changed them. Jesus has made them different. Change is a necessary part of following Jesus. Just the idea of following Jesus carries with it the idea of change. We see it in this passage. When Jesus calls these men, they're already doing something. And they're doing something with their lives. But they're not just piddling. They're not searching Facebook or watching cat videos. They they are doing a business. They have a life. They have something they're doing with their day-to-day life. 
And Jesus calls them, and in order for them to follow him, they had to change. They could not stay as fishermen and follow Jesus at the same time. It required change. It's no different than us. Change is a part of the gospel itself. The answer to the gospel, repent and believe the gospel. That's that's one of the ways we respond. Repentance is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. That's a change right there. Believing the gospel. When we believe the gospel, we change from believing in ourselves or our morals or our goodness or our religiousness or whatever else we believe in that makes us think we are righteous. And we change from believing in those things to believing in Jesus, his sinless life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection as the only hope for our salvation and our righteousness. That's a lot of change right at the front end of coming to Jesus. I mean, that's at the very beginning. And the change doesn't stop then. Everything about believing the gospel and following Jesus requires change. Listen to just a bit of what we're told in God's word. We're changed into a new creation. Second Corinthians five seventeen. We are changed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of Christ. We're changed, or Colossians 1.13. We're changed from being spiritually dead to having eternal life. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. We're changed from being controlled by our flesh or our sinful nature to being controlled by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 9. We're changed from being a natural person to a spiritual person, 1 Corinthians 2, 12 through 14. We're changed from being carnally minded to being spiritually minded, Romans 8, 6, 1 Corinthians 2, 16. Now, those are all changes that are, those are what you might call initial salvific changes. Those are changes God begins to make in us the moment we come to Jesus. We repent. We believe the gospel. Those sort of changes begin to take place in our life. But the changes don't stop there. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says our minds are being continually renewed and our lives are being transformed. Do you know why our, our minds are being continually transformed? Because we all believe wrong things. We all think in the wrong way in one way or another. None of us fully have the perfect mind of Christ all throughout our day and all throughout our life. There are things we think that are not right, and so our minds have to be renewed. There are beliefs we have that are not accurate, and so our minds have to be renewed. And when our mind changes, our lives necessarily change, because what we believe about something affects how we live. And so our minds are being renewed every, I don't know if it's every day, but I would say I would say, if you're a disciple of Jesus, here it is, the last Sunday of January 2022, you should be able to look back to January 2021, and in the last 12 months, your mind has changed. Not not because of the world. Your mind has changed because God has renewed it. And because your way you think has changed, the way you live has changed. We should all be able to see Differences, what we believe, how we think, and how we live because of Christ and His continual work in our lives. We are told to put off our old corrupt nature, which is filled with deceitful lust, and put on a new nature that is righteous, holy, and true. 
So you have the change that Jesus makes in us as our minds are being renewed, but then there's the change we have to cooperate with. We have to do something. We have to choose to put off our old nature. And we have to choose to put on the new nature. Jesus will help us. The Spirit will enable us. But there's a choice on our part to recognize, you know what? This attitude I have, this action I'm taking, this, these words I'm saying, this is sinful. This is the old man that's not redeemed. I, I want to take that off. I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to be dead to sin. And I want to be alive to Christ. So I'm putting that off and I'm trying to replace it with good things from Jesus. That is a change. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we are continually being changed from glory to glory as we behold Jesus. Continually. The goal is ultimately to be like Jesus. And none of us are completely like Jesus. We act in ways that are contrary to Him. And our speech, our attitudes and our actions, how we think, how we react to stressors. I mean, there's just any number of ways all of us fall short of the standard of being like Jesus. And so, there is a constant change Jesus is trying to bring into our lives. The question, that's not a question. There's never a question of whether or not he's trying to believe us or change us. The question is, are we going to cooperate with that? When the word, we're reading the word and we see, gosh, I believe wrongly. What are we going to do in that moment? Will we adjust how we believe to what the word says? Or will we just determine arrogantly we're right and the word is wrong? We see in the Word that how we're living. We, we had a stressful week. Something stressful came up. We reacted. We read in the Bible and it says, oh, you shouldn't have reacted that way. You should have done this instead. What are we going to do in that moment? Are, are we going to say, well, you know what? Next time I'll do better. Next time I'll react this way. Are we going to say, that's crazy talk. That's just who I am. Right? I mean, that, those are the, that's the way we have to decide all the time. The Word is always going to transform us. The Spirit is always going to transform us. Jesus is always going to be working on us. And the question is, will we cooperate with it? Or will we resist it and reject it? And we say, Jesus loves me just the way I am. It's true. Absolutely, He does. No doubts. But write this down. Jesus loves us too much to leave us the way we are. Just because we are a certain way doesn't mean we are the best way we're supposed to be. Just because we were raised a certain way doesn't mean that's the way we're supposed to be in our life. Jesus loves us as we are. He does not love some future version of us that has it all squared away. He loves us right now. But He loves us enough to help us be who we're meant to be. Who we were created to be. Who He has saved us to be. Jesus is always going to be working on us. And if we are going to be who Jesus wants us to be, if we are going to be followers of Christ, we are going to have to cooperate with His changes. We're going to have to say, yes, Lord, and begin to make the changes He's bringing about in our lives. Those changes start the moment we repent and believe. Well, really repent and believe, they start before. And then they continue until the day He calls us home or to the day He returns. And every time He brings up something, we'll have a choice. Will I cooperate with Jesus or will I resist Jesus? Again, it's in that moment. There, there's, that's the, it will be specific. right? It won't be a nebulous do better. What does that even mean? Probably we don't know. That's, that's not Jesus. 
Jesus will deal with us about a specific issue. Here's a thought you have. Here's a belief you have. It's wrong. And here's the belief that's right. And so very specifically, Jesus has dealt with us about something. Very specifically, Jesus is showing us what's wrong, what we need to do, and what we ought to believe. And in that moment, we will make an an intentional, decisive choice about how to answer. We will say, yes, Lord, and we will do what He wants us to do. Or we will say, no, Lord, and we will remain the same. But we will choose in that moment. Jesus will make it very clear what the choice is, how we respond, and we will choose. If we want to intentionally and decisively answer when Jesus calls, we must cooperate with His transformative work in our lives. And then thirdly, join the mission of Jesus. Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of people. Jesus was really going to change them. He was calling them to a mission. Mission of making disciples of all nations. At the end of His resurrection, before He ascended to heaven, Jesus had all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow me, to follow all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is what we call the Great Commission. The Great Commission is something given to each and every disciple of Jesus. This isn't just for preachers or missionaries or deacons. If you have repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, you have answered His call to follow Him, then He is working to make you and to become a fisher of men who makes disciples of all nations. Growing up, when I heard the Great Commission taught on, the focus was on the go. Go knock doors. Go hand out tracts. Go just walk up to random people and talk to them. And some people are gifted that way. I follow a guy on uh, YouTube. He, he does that every day of his life. Five, six days a week, he goes out to the places in the city he lives, goes to Walmart, and he just, that's what he does. He's a, an evangelist. I'm, I'm not naturally wired that way. Uh, but the command isn't to go, really, though. The command is on make disciples. That, that's the emphasis. Not make converts. Not just get people to pray a prayer. But to, to help people become genuine disciples of Jesus. In fact, the go portion could be understood as as you're going. And if you think about in God's word, that's what we see, right? Think about Jesus. How often did Jesus go knock a door? How often did Jesus intentionally set out and say, I'm going to go do an evangelistic campaign and knock all the doors in our neighborhood? He didn't. He just sort of went about his life. Opportunities came up. He was tired sitting at a well and a woman came up. Talked to her about him. She believed, went and told her friends. They all came. Jesus told them about him. Jesus was... Walking down. I mean, he just he would just go through life. And the opportunities would arise. He was aware. You look at the book of Acts. How did they how did they live their lives? They they, they would go pray. And on the way to pray, there would be a guy there that was helpless. He was crippled. And they would pray for him to be healed. And people would gather because he's healed. And they would say, well, let me tell you how this happened. There was a man named Jesus. Over and over and over again, we see they just, as they went through life, opportunities arose. And they took them. That, that's the picture of what we actually see here. Now, again, I'm not saying don't go knock doors. If that's something you're good at, something you feel compelled to do, absolutely go knock doors. Go stand on the preach the street corner. I, I'm, I'm for all of that. I'm for whatever works. But for most of us, that's not how we're wired. 
But as we go through our life, opportunities will arise. I mean, unless you live an isolated life as a hermit, and then you came to church today, and you're not going to talk to anybody, and then you're going to go back home to your isolated life, this week you're going to encounter someone. Someone who doesn't know Jesus. Someone, an opportunity will arise for you to say, well, you want to come to church? Let me tell you about the hope I have. Let me tell you about the Savior I know. Right? The opportunities come up. Now, the good thing, the great thing about this is the encouragement Jesus gives. Right? He's told them to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. It's a big command. Not in your neighborhood, not just Gaiman. The whole world. That's, that's huge. It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming now when you think about it. I, I look at, every day I look at the uh, unreached of the day from the Joshua Project. And there, there are places I've never heard of with millions of people who have never heard of Jesus. That's just, it's overwhelming thought to me. How do we make disciples of all nations? It's, it's, it's crazy to, to fathom that. Jesus knew this was an overwhelming mission. So look at the encouragement he gives. Behold, I am with you always to the very end. The disciples then and the disciples now should be encouraged to know we don't go alone. Jesus goes with us. This, again, goes back to the idea that we live our lives following Jesus. He is with us. It's not called the great mission, the co-mission. It's his mission. We're just joining with him in the work. Again, if I go back to the idea that tomorrow, no matter where I go, no matter what I do, Jesus is going with me. Well, then, it, I mean, if Jesus were physically here, and he were like, hey, go talk to Sharon and tell her about me, I think I could do that. I mean, Jesus is right there. If it goes badly, he's right here. Well, if I think my life, Jesus is always with me, and he leads me, hey, go talk to them, but I can't, because I know he's always with me. So if we follow him as a way of life, then we can live on mission like this because we know he is with us. He will help us. He will give us these opportunities and he will encourage us in the process. Now, again, there's no question about whether or not the opportunities will be there. They will be. The question is, what are we going to do in that moment? Are we going to join Jesus on the mission or are we not? That's the question. This week at some point, if you're a disciple of Jesus, the Spirit leads you and fills you. You will cross paths with somebody who doesn't know Jesus and an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity, not a forced thing, but an opportunity to talk to them about the Savior who has saved you will arise. And you will have a decision to make in that moment. Will you answer Jesus' call intentionally? Again, how many of you know you don't just accidentally start talking about Jesus and the need to repent and believe and follow Christ? That's just not a... It's just not a normal conversation that comes up in most places out and about. It's an intentional decision. It's a decisive decision. Not because we have to be clear. We can't just say, well, you're, you know, you're a good person. Have you been a better person? Would you like? That doesn't help. We have to give a decisive answer to the call. So what are we going to do in that moment? Are we going to answer his call? Or are we going to resist it and push back against it? Now, today, Jesus is calling all of us. He's calling all of us to follow him. He's calling all of us to let him make us into something. And he's calling all of us to join him on his mission. And now this call has brought us all to a place where we have to respond.
we must choose. Will we choose to answer the call of Jesus? Or will we choose to reject the call of Jesus? Today you will make a choice. You will choose to answer the call and draw near to Jesus. Or you will choose to reject the call and to pull back from Jesus. You will answer the call and begin to follow Jesus. Or you will reject the call and stay where you are. You'll answer the call and be transformed by Jesus. Or you'll reject the call and be and stay just the same as you are. You'll answer the call and work to reach others for Christ. Or you'll reject the call and never influence anyone for eternity. But we will choose. We will choose to embrace. We will choose to reject. The question is, how are we going to respond today? How are you going to respond? Now, if you've never come to Jesus and been saved, then the very first response is the call to repent and believe the gospel. To repent is a change of mind about God and sin resulting in a change of life. It's the change of mind about sin. God's right about my sin and I'm wrong. By and large, people naturally don't think their sin is any big deal. But the Bible says something entirely different. So a repentance starts by saying, my sin is a big deal. My sin does separate me from God. My sin does make me guilty in the courts of heaven. And I do need Jesus to save me and Jesus alone. That's repentance. Repentance then leads us to believe the gospel. Believing the gospel is saying, only Jesus can save me. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus rose again. And I'm reaching out and calling on him to save me. And, and, and all we have to do is respond. Uh, we don't save ourselves. We don't follow Jesus to be saved. We follow Jesus because we've been saved. We don't change to be saved. We change because we've been saved. We don't join the mission to be saved. We join the mission because we've been saved. Picture it as drowning. You're drowning in the water. You can't swim. And somebody offers to, to pick you up out of the water. And all you have to do is reach up your hands and take hold of theirs. And they will grab you and they will lift you up out of the water and they will pull you to safety. If you've never repented and believed in Jesus, you're drowning whether you know it or not. And your struggling to save yourself is just keeping you, keeping you drowning. And the need is to quit the struggling. And to reach up to Jesus. That's repentance and faith. Reaches up to Jesus. He then grabs us by the hands. And He lifts us up. And He sets us on the safe place. If you've not repented and you've not believed, that's where you have to start. Everything has to start there. Now, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you have repented and you have believed. You're still being called this morning. You're still being called to answer. And 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 probably, we need to repent and believe as well. Repentance and belief isn't a one-time event for those who don't know Jesus. It is for all of us. The whole life of a disciple of Jesus is repenting and believing the gospel. We repent of maybe not following Jesus as a way of life. We repent of of maybe not following Jesus on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment, His leadership in our life. We repent of not cooperating 
with the transformation Jesus is trying to bring into our life. We repent of not being on mission with Jesus to make disciples of all nations. So there's repentance even for those of us who are saved and as disciples. But we not only repent, we also continually believe the gospel. Jesus has died for us to draw us near to himself. And we want to be where he is so we'll follow him as a way of life. We believe the gospel because Jesus bore our cross on our behalf. So we bear his cross and we follow his leadership in our lives. Jesus is our perfect example. And until we we are completely like him, there are changes that must be made. And so we believe the gospel and cooperate with the changes he is seeking to make in our lives. Jesus didn't just purchase our salvation on the cross. He purchased the salvation of all who would repent and believe. Our town is literally filled with people who do not know Jesus. And Jesus died for their salvation. And we believe the gospel because it's for them. And we join Jesus on his mission. So Jesus has called. And now the opportunity is ours to what we're going to do with it. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And give us a time to respond. A, a time to answer his call. The altars are open. If you want to come forward, you can pray where you are. Where you are is not nearly as important as what you're doing. If Jesus has called, answer the call. Go to him. Again, you can come forward. I will pray with you. Others will. You can pray where you are. Just intentionally, decisively answer the call this morning.